Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host, Ray Gerard, and this is the program that asks, what if St. Paul were alive today? What if he could write a letter not to the Galatians, the Colossians, or the Romans, or anybody else, but would write a letter to the Americans? What would he tell us? Well, if you wondered about such a question, or if that question kind of intrigues you, uh, you've come to the right place because we can tell you we can tell you with a great deal of confidence exactly what St. Paul would be telling us today here in America. If he was going to look at some national event, some item in the news, uh, some current situation, and comment on it, uh, we know what he would tell us. And how do we know that? Well, the fact is St. Paul wrote, uh, like all the rest of the writings in the, in the Bible, uh, wrote things that are inspired. He wrote the truth, and the truth does not change. It stays forever timely. And um, so each week we talk about something that's new, something that's different. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking about a hot item, uh, that uh, a hot news item that has occurred down in a place called Loudoun County, Virginia. But before we do that, we're going to uh, read what St. Paul would write to America today. From his letters to the Americans, uh, Christ, while we were still helpless, yet died on the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though perhaps for a good person one might find courage to die. But God proves his love for us. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how, maybe you're going to find courage to die for a good person. I don't know how many people, actually there is one person that we're going to be talking about later in the program that that, uh, that, that would apply to. But I don't know that many people who would find the courage to die you know, for some good person. But even if that were the case, uh, how much more of a proof of God's love is it? in that his son died for us while we were sinners, while we were rejecting him, despising him, spurning him. It didn't matter. The, that, that didn't block the love and the immense unconditional love that it would take to die a horrible, cruel death. Is not that message one that should apply uh, to us today? Is not that message one that we would do well to remember and listen to today. Well, if in fact that message was understood, was heard, was believed, um, would it not make a difference perhaps with some people down in a place called Loudoun County, Virginia? This message from St. Paul is about love. It's about immense um, unconditional, uh, indescribable 
love. Somebody's rejecting, rejecting you, and you suffer the supreme sacrifice for them anyway and die for somebody who is rejecting you. That kind of love doesn't really have a peer. It really, especially when you consider who it was that made the sacrifice. You know, it wasn't enough for God just, I mean, God could have sent his son down to the earth, but it's not only that, but he had to die for us. If that image, that concept, that idea, that reality was ever present in our minds, would it not affect how we live at certain times? Well, let's explain what's what's happened down recently in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, so just to, just to go over the facts, uh, there is a... Uh, uh, there's an incident that happened back in May. It was not known before, but now it's known. It's in a high school uh, down in Loudoun County, Virginia. And they had instituted a policy, a transgender-neutral policy, where uh, people who identified um, as being of a particular gender could use the uh, bathrooms assigned for that gender. And there was a boy who, uh, biologically he was a boy, but who um, said he identified as a girl and apparently wearing a skirt, went into a girl's bathroom. This is back in May, May 28th of this year. And there he found um, a, a ninth grade uh, girl, probably, what, 13 years old. Um, and uh, if, you know, if, if this might... Um, offend some sensibilities, uh, then perhaps just mute to quiet um, your device for 30 seconds. But he raped her and sodomized her. Um, this was a grotesque, uh, brutal sexual attack. And mind you, this happened to a 13-year-old girl. What kind of effect would it have on the psyche of that girl? For how many years would she be traumatized? I mean, any woman who goes through a situation like that, uh, even less of, uh, even something less, uh, you know, grievous, you know, less, uh, you know, less horrific, um, but any kind of sexual assault can be traumatized for years. Uh, something that they, you know, never forget for the rest of their lives. How much more for a 13-year-old girl? How absolutely horrible. Well, as horrible as that is, there's not something uh, sad to say, uh, particularly noteworthy about that, something particularly newsworthy about that. These types of things do happen. They've happened, you know, forever, as long as people have been around. But there is something that makes this a little bit more newsworthy. Um, you see, there's a, uh, a school board down in Lowndes County, Virginia, who knew that this had happened. But nevertheless, a month after it happened, denied that it happened. Why would the board, with responsibility for the education and the safety, I mean, for goodness sake, the safety of young children. Why wouldn't they, of course, 
more than anybody else, be so interested in this event, in investigating how it was allowed to happen, in making sure it could never happen again. I mean, why wouldn't they have guilt and remorse that it was allowed, that somehow the school system failed this girl such that it even happened once in the first place? Well, not only um, did they not make this publicly known, they covered it up. And the boy was transferred to another high school, and he committed another sexual assault on another girl because the first incidents, first incident was not made known. Not only was it not made known, it was denied. There was a meeting of this school board about a month later in June, and at that meeting, a man happened to be arrested. That man happened to be the daughter of the 13-year-old girl. At that meeting, the superintendent for the school district uh, said that the predator, transgender student, or person simply does not exist. This a month after he learned of this incident and sent an email uh, to every member of the school board reporting about this incident. It was under investigation by the sheriff's office at the time, and that's what he reported. So obviously until the sheriff's office completes an investigation, you don't know for sure what the facts are, but he certainly had a report of a serious event. Um, and nevertheless, you know, he said, as a matter of fact, that the sexual uh, transgender predator does not exist. Um, and uh, he denied that they had, you know, any reports or any incidents at, you know, any of their schools. He denied that at the meeting. And later, uh, well, at the, like I said, a month later, well, at, that, at that same meeting where he denied that, his father, can you imagine the grief of this father over what had happened to his daughter? Not being there, not being able to protect her, trusting the administrators of a school system um, that, you know, that, that people there would be like himself and they would care for the children entrusted to them. And then to find out that this happened to your daughter. Um, so he goes to this meeting. And um, somebody, he gets into some kind of an altercation with another parent who apparently said some things to which, um, well, apparently it, it just, it, it, it went to the point where I guess he couldn't control himself, and I suppose it would have been, well, of course, it would have been better if he had, but nevertheless, he then gets arrested. So here you have, and of course, he was, he was objecting to the school board policies. He wasn't, I believe, going to uh, comment on what happened to his daughter. He had been told to keep quiet about it. And he was apparently willing to do that, but he wanted to comment about the school board policy. And he gets arrested. You've got injury on top of injury. Um, then, um, to make it even worse, uh, 
um, several months later, the National School Board Association writes a letter to the White House where they refer to him in particular and declare him a domestic terrorist. He's a victim. I mean, his daughter's a victim, and in a different way, he's a victim. Uh, he, you know, he, he must feel some guilt that he failed his daughter. Now, of course, he didn't do anything wrong. I understand that uh, people who suffered, you know, these, these horrific offenses think that they've done something wrong. And, of course, that's not true. That's certainly not true. So to a lesser degree, but to some degree, I mean, he's a victim here. He sympathizes with his daughter, what happened to his daughter. Um, and he, in effect, you know, because if somebody, if you love somebody and they suffer and you truly love them, you suffer with them. And in that sense, suffering in sympathy with his daughter, uh, in, in that in that case, as a suffering person, then he is arrested, and then he is called a domestic terrorist. Five days after that, the Attorney General of the United States issues a memorandum, a directive, to all the offices of the U.S. attorneys across the country that uh, task, force, task forces are going to be formed to uh, look into parents who threaten or harass school board members um, and potentially prosecute them too with crimes. And so now you have parents all across the country uh, being subjected to the threat of investigation and potentially criminal prosecution. And the NSBA, the National School Board Association, which wrote this letter, then uh, retracted the letter. And uh, they, they just they pulled it back, they reversed course, uh, because obviously uh, parents who are concerned about these types of things, um, uh, well, they have a right uh, to be concerned, as this parent didn't write certainly to speak out. Um, so this is um, the hot issue that, that came up. All these members of the school board uh, were sent this email. Uh, some say they didn't, haven't, didn't read it. Uh, one member of the school board at the same meeting where the superintendent denied anything happened also said uh, something similar. She said, quote, our students do not need to be protected and they are not in danger. Again, after having received notice that an event had happened only weeks before. When the um, school board uh, then had to issue a report to the Divin uh, Virginia Department of Education, uh, just some, apparently some kind of a periodic uh, report on school safety, uh, they sent in a report that said, quote, Stonebridge, a particular high school, had zero sexual assaults for the 2021 school year, which includes May 28, 2021. So the district acknowledged of this situation, but they failed to report it. So now the school board members and now the administrative staff are also 
uh, covering it up. Apparently, when this news broke, uh, later in September and early October, when um, the father broke his silence because he was approached by a parent at a different high school, um, a parent or friend of the, uh, of the second victim, said they had heard certain things and were wondering if they were true. And the parent then knew, the parent of the first girl who was assaulted then knew that he couldn't keep quiet about this anymore because if he did, he'd be endangering other children. So he couldn't do that. So this whole story broke. And on the day that it broke, um, as uh, was reported on uh, an article in The Federalist, um, on that day, the ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, none of them covered this story on their evening TV programs. So the issue here is the, the issue to be discussed and the issue that really this, this whole chain of events provokes is not so much your attitude on transgender policies and, you know, bathroom access and anything else that, you know, is related to this that is, you know, so hotly debated in the, in the public sphere these days. The issue is, really, um, once these people that are involved in this, whether it's school board members, whether it's uh, school board uh, and school district staff, or whether it's national media, when people have hear heard of this event, why do they not make it known? Why do they not speak about it? Why do you, in effect, cover it up? It's not so much the initial event, but it's the second event. Why the cover-up? And as I was trying to think about this and, and how this would happen, I mean, whatever your opinions are about transgender policies and, and, that, and that sort of thing, whatever your opinions are on that, I mean, don't we all feel the same revulsion at a 13-year-old girl being so brutally attacked? Um, can't we all agree on that? If we don't, my goodness, uh, then who are we? But if we do, then why not talk about it? Why cover it up? That is the question that it seems really difficult to answer. And so to go back to this reading from St. Paul, if we had in mind, if something was in the forefront of our, of our mind, if, um, we, if we remembered um, the sacrifice that Christ made for us and the love of that, would that not inspire us to love? And if it really would, if that would inspire us to love, would that also inspire us to have sympathy for this 13-year-old girl, sympathy for anybody else who might become victimized? Would it not make a difference? So the the um, the theorem to be advanced here is, are we suffering from a lack of love? Can we reasonably ask, where is the love? Um, is there a better explanation for how this happens? 
if we have this kind of love, doesn't that just trump everything? Whatever our political inclinations are, whatever our social policy preferences are, when it comes to people being hurt, wouldn't that just stop everything? And in that particular instance, dictate you know a certain way of 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 behaving and by that i simply mean at least making it known and not covering it up um you know who can talk to us about love well anybody can right but surely uh surely the best kinds of authorities some of the best some of the best authorities that we can turn to for this would be people that lived lives of love uh, the saints. And, for example, uh, St. Francis de Sales wrote an entire book called The Treatise on the Love of God, my version being over 500 pages. 500 pages on the love of God. And uh, within all of those 500 pages, at one place he says, the will has so great a sympathy with good, the will, the intellect, um, no, not the, uh, excuse me, the will, the will, our heart, our desires. The will has so great a sympathy with good, good, uh, charity, love. The will has so great a sympathy with good that as soon as she perceives it, she turns toward it to delight therein as in her most agreeable object to which she is so closely allied that her nature cannot be explained except by the relation she has thereto. In other words, you know, whenever we hear of some act of, of love to somebody else, you know, we just naturally um, agree with it. We're just naturally affected by it in a positive way. It's like, oh, isn't that sweet? Something of this, you know, something of that nature. Um, why is it? What is that? What is it about us that makes us react that way? Is that not a very common, if not universal, kind of feeling at one time or another in people's lives. They hear of something or they see somebody doing some act of, of love to somebody else and they love it. They love the they love the fact that somebody did that. They just naturally agree with it. What is it in our nature that makes us do that? Why is it that this that our hearts have such a positive reaction to when a good uh, is done um, you know by another person? Or, for example, you take uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, and this is perhaps more in line with our reading from St. Paul. But he writes about uh, love as well, specifically the sacrifice out of love made on the cross. And he says, Would it not have sufficed for Christ to have offered to his eternal Father one single prayer for the pardon of man? For this prayer, being of infinite value, would have been sufficient to save the world. Why did Christ have to suffer the cross? Why didn't he just pray to the Father? Why didn't he just pray for the salvation of all humanity for all time? Such a prayer, being of infinite value, would have been enough. So if that's true, and of course it makes perfect sense. I mean, Christ, if Christ is who he says he was, if he's the Son of God, if he was there, as, as, as we're told in Scripture, you know, from the beginning, the Word was with God um, at the beginning of time, um, 
He could have done that. And he has all the power in the he has all the power in creation. He could have done that. He could have made one prayer for the salvation of man, and it would have been enough. I mean, did we ever think of that? Or do we just get so used to hearing the story of the cross that we just figure, well, that's how it had to be? Well, no, it didn't have to be. He could have he could have prayed for this. He could have decreed it. I mean, the Father says, you know, let there be light, creates the universe. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all they're all one. If Christ is who he says he is, he could have just offered a prayer for the salvation of this humanity that I love, and that would have been enough. But he didn't do that. Well, of course, he prayed for us, but he did much more than that. So why? What's the reason for that? St. Alphonse says, because Jesus loved us so much, he desired to be loved very much by us. And therefore, he did everything that he could, even unto suffering for us, in order to conciliate our love and to show that there was nothing more that he could do to make us love him. St. John Chrysostom also says that it was to draw our hearts to himself by the remembrance of the pains that he has endured for us. This was the principal cause, St. John says, of the passion of the Lord. He wished it to be known how great was this love of God. Um, and that's exactly what St. Paul says in this reading. Uh, God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is unbeatable love. That is a love that cannot be topped. Um, so if, I mean, if, if that was the cause of, um, if that was the reason for the cross, to make it known that this was such great love, what would then happen to us? Would we not love in return, love back? And if we know that God loves everybody, then don't we love everybody? Don't we have to have respect for everybody? How do you cover up what happens to somebody? It, you know, like I said, this is not about the social policy. It's not about transgenderism. This is not about that issue. This is like, this is about what's going on in our culture and in our world that this type of thing can happen. Now, the other thing we should be careful to um, denote is that there's no judgment here on any of the members of the school board, on any of the member that, that school district staff, um, on any member of the national media. Um, this is not to make any judgment about any person. That's not our place. That's not our right. Um, as Pope Francis has said, you know, only God really knows what's in the heart, and it's not for us to judge. And, of course, judgmentalism is, in fact, sinful. Um, but nonetheless, but nonetheless, we do need to have a good understanding of our faith and whether or not there are things that are right and wrong. And if being honest about things as opposed to being dishonest or covering up or, or lying about things. I mean, these weren't just statements that were not made. They were statements that were made that were factually incorrect. Um, you know, we do need to be able to all agree that that's wrong. 
You know, you're not going to, I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, we have to, we have to understand that and, and know that and not be afraid, uh, afraid to stand up for those principles. We don't attack people, but we can't allow our unwillingness to attack people to get to the point where we're unwilling to stand up for principles. And stand up for principles in this case simply means being honest. What happened to a 13-year-old girl so that she's not victimized twice? Can we not sympathize with her suffering? Um, do we distance ourselves from her in order to be able to agree that this sort of thing should be covered up. Apparently, one of the things that happened to this father that um, I guess drove him to the point was uh, that he, you know, uh, that he reacted as he did was somebody said something negative about his daughter, and um, you know there, there are multiple accounts about this. But I mean, if that's true, um, you know, can we not feel for this for this person? Um, you know, there is. Um, there's another book on love. This one's called In the School of Love. It's by a, a priest uh, who's now passed, but his name is Father Slavko Babaric. And he writes about In the School of Love. And, uh, you know, he writes, about, um, he writes about the fact that all people are beautiful and worthy of love. He writes about our Mother Mary and that she is beautiful because she loves. And if we want to be beautiful as well, we need to love. We need to love. That's the real beauty. If, if we can see each other for what they truly are, if we can see into the soul, if we had the power to see into souls that some of the saints do, as God, of course, does, um, then we would see who's really beautiful and who's not by how much they love. Um, you know, Father... Uh, um, you know, Father Slavko also writes about how force closes the approach to love. He says, um, you know, he says that, you know, if you love, there will be no forcefulness. Um, these are opposite. Forcefulness is an opposite, um, is an opposite to love, uh, that it closes the mouth, the ears, the heart, the whole being. Uh, this is what happens when you try to force somebody. You get a natural repelling effect, a natural revulsion. Um, love is always uh, something that acknowledges and, and honors the freedom of other people. And so if, for example, you do not report the truth of an incident uh, so that you can sway um, the voting or the results of a certain public meeting and a certain public policy, um, you're forcing your viewpoint. You're not trusting that the fact that other people uh, with the knowledge of, of certain facts that you have would be able to come up with the right decision. You're trying to force your opinion on others. Um, another way of saying this is just that you know freedom of speech is to be allowed that it you know that 
freedom of speech allow you know respects uh, the dignity of other people, the rights of other people to to voice their opinions. If we get to the point um, as a society where we're willing to, and a lot of people are, a lot of young people are, uh, to harbor and allow restrictions on freedom of speech, um, are we measuring it by the right standard? Are we measuring it with the remembrance of Christ on the cross? Are we measuring it in the instances when we think we might agree with it to those cases with a proper sense of the love for the people that we're going to suppress? This is a Christian way of looking at issues, to look at things out of love and to shape our opinions and our views and our actions uh, based on a viewpoint of love. And as Father Slavko says, loving everybody. Um, to continue to delve into the subject a little bit, uh, Bishop Sheen um, you know, gave some very noteworthy uh, television performances back in the 50s. And if you pull up some of the transcripts of some of his programs, you'll find one where he talks about uh, knowledge and the intellect uh, being different from love. He, he, suggest, he says that, uh, and he's not, and of course he's just uh, reiterating and, and confirming Catholic teaching on this, but he says uh, that knowledge and love are specifically human. Um, animals will have, they, they'll sense things, they'll have passions, but the ability to know things, to understand things, to use our reason, um, this is a particularly human thing, as is the ability to love. Now, love in, in what sense? Well, love is a lot deeper, a lot broader than just simply having warm feelings. Um, and he says that, you know, knowledge belongs to the intellect, to the mind, uh, whereas, you know, love belongs to the heart, belongs to the will. It's something we decide to do. And, uh, uh, and that's, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing. He talks about Christian love and how Christian love is different. What is Christian love? I mean, he, he pointed out a number of different forms of love. There's what he calls um, utilitarian love. We love, we love back because somebody loves us or does something for us. But there's romantic love, which is you know, the, the passionate sexual kind. There's democratic love. We respect others because they respect us. There's humanitarian love because we love humanity in general. Uh, but he says that there's, there's a fifth kind of love. There's a Christian love. What is Christian love? Well, Christian love um, can be traced back to this one directive that Christ gives us where he tells us to love one another as I have loved you. The golden rule. And more than just the golden rule, it's more than just, you know, one person loving a person back the same way that they've been loved. Now, this is loving as God loves. Now, we started the program with this message from St. Paul. Hey, God proves his love, God's love. He proves God's love. And that no matter what we've done to him, he still loves. And uh, so Bishop Sheen about this talking about this, this directive that Christ gives. He said there are two things that are new about this. Love, of course, was something that you know people felt, people 
espoused and, uh, you know, people, you know, uh, believed in before Christ, certainly. But Christ's view on it was to love as I have loved, to love others as God loves. He says there's two things that are new with this Christian love. He said one is the self-sacrifice that St. Paul talks about, suffering death, um, even though someone else's, you know, even though someone's rejected it, the person. It's self-sacrifice. Second, it's a commandment. A commandment. It's an order. It's a directive. It's an instruction to love. Bishop Sheen says, love is not a gush, but a virtue. Um, we are told. We are told. We are commanded. We are given. Um, we are given um, a, a revelation that uh, God wants us to love other people the way that God loves us. Nothing less. We are to love others with unconditional love. We are to love others not in a small way, not to the extent that they love us back, but the way that God loves. That's Christian love. And that involves self-sacrifice, a willingness to suffer for the other person. So apply that to the situation in Loudoun County or to any other situation we want to bring up in our society, or at any other situation that you can point to, so many different you know, situations you can point to last year, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. I mean, loving the way that God loves us is a tall order, and one that we've failed and failed and failed at over and over and over again. But nonetheless, that directive is who we are. That paints us as Christians, that mission, that goal. You know, many organizations, they'll fashion for themselves mission statements uh, to try to identify, like, who they are and what they're about. Well, who we are as Christians uh, can be summed up with that one directive, can it not? I mean, I suppose, uh, well, I don't suppose, but, you know, if we're going to take the two greatest commandments as, as Christ told them to us, um, you know, one is to love God, but then the other is to love others. But just, you know, in terms of our own human behavior and interacting with one another and and how we decide, you know, as a society, you know, what we're going to, uh, what we're going to foster and, you know, what we're going to try to disfavor, um, this directive about how we deal with each other uh, should be kept, should it not, always in the forefront of our mind, love others as God loves. Nothing short of that. Um, you know, possibly, you know, a really great example. I mean, is this, is this kind of thing possible? You know, does anybody really do that? Um, well, I'll give you a gentleman who um, met a boxer named Teddy, and they were both in a prison together. And uh, um, uh, Teddy saw a man, Teddy was a boxer, and he was apparently like a, a welterweight or a lightweight boxer. But anyways, he saw another man in this prison being beat up. And so um, he went to the uh, the guard who was doing uh, the beating, and uh, he said he would like to train with this guard who was beating the prisoner. 
And so the guard agreed, thinking that this might be a little bit, a little bit fun, that he'd beat up on a second guy. Well, this lightweight boxer floored the guard with just two punches. And when he did that, the man he was defending begged him to stop. The man who had been beaten up by the guard pled with, pled with him, don't beat your brother, my son. And uh, according to Teddy, this man's face was strangely calm. Um, the man told Teddy to leave to God the job of meeting out justice. Um, Teddy gave this man a, a piece of bread. I guess maybe at a different point in time, these two became, I guess, friends of some sort or another, and Teddy gave uh, this man a piece of bread and then heard that another person had stolen it from this guy. So first this guy is getting beat up by a guard. Now he's getting bread stolen by somebody else. Well, Teddy, you know, wants to go take the guy who stole the bread and beat on him. Anyways, um, and Teddy gave uh, this, this man another piece of bread to make up for the bread that had been stolen. And this man broke it in two and gave half of it to the thief and said he must be hungry too. It was unconditional love. This is a man who loved as God loves. This is a man for whom Christ's sacrifice on the cross was kept foremost in his mind. It's something that guided how he lived his life. This man's name, St. Maximilian Kolbe. And of course, St. Maximilian Kolbe was much more famous for uh, an even more dramatic instance of loving unconditionally. There's a time at this prison camp at Auschwitz that we've been talking about. There was a time at this prison camp where somebody escaped. And the Nazis, in order to dissuade anybody else from having the foolishness to try to do likewise, uh, decided they were going to kill 30. Then they said, nah, 20, but just to show how lenient and, and compassionate we are, we're just going to kill 10 of you. And the way they were going to do this was particularly horrible. They were going to make these people starve in a, in a dirty subterranean cell, strip them naked, and just starve them all to death in a room so small that all 10 of them couldn't lie down at the same time. It was just, you know, just a horrible way to, to do this. Um, but then they were, as they were picking out the people that were going to suffer this fate, they came to one man, and when they picked him, he exclaimed, Oh, my wife, my poor children. And then something unexpected happened. A small, frail prisoner came out from his place in line, something you did not do. He was not told to come forward, but yet he came forward on his own. And the colonel who was in charge of this situation was so uh, unprepared for somebody, you know, coming, you know, breaking formation, coming out of a line when he wasn't being called by the Nazis, that he was afraid this guy was going to try something, so he instinctively reached for his pistol. But instead, the man coming forward said, please, Herr Commandant, I would like to take the place of that man. I would like to die in his place. Eventually, the colonel agreed. And he did take his place. Um, and uh, 
And when he was in this prison cell with these nine other people that were going to die, strange things started to happen. They would be singing hymns. They were peaceful. Um, they were uh, remarkably you know, resigned to their fate. It didn't trouble them so much. Um, and they, the example that they set made a deep impression on at least one of the guards. Um, and when the time came and Colby had to die because they needed the prison cell for other people, and these people, six people had died, but four were still alive, Colby being one of them, and they needed the prison cell, and so they were going to hasten the process and just inject a lethal um, uh, drug into them. Um, you know, um, the time came and they approached uh, Father Colby with this lethal uh, syringe. And one of the people, uh, and the way that Father Colby just so meekly, uh, you know, allowed himself to have this happen to him, he lifted up his arm and without any kind of protest, without any kind of shrinking away, helped his own execution in a way. One of the men there just couldn't take it anymore, and he just he just fled. You know, this was a sacrifice for somebody else. This was giving your life um, for somebody else. Now, St. Paul says, hey, you know, for a good man, you might find the courage to die. Did Father Colby know that this man was good or not good? Didn't matter. He was going to die. Um... Maybe, you know, I mean, it was unconditional, unconditional. He loved as God loves. I heard that later on this man uh, survived Auschwitz and was able to be present uh, at the canonization of Father Colby. And he owed his life, his time with his, with his family, with his, after that, to this great act of sacrifice. And, of course, it inspired Love from this man, and everybody who hears this story, um, it's, it's you know, uh, is inspired similarly. It's like you know what's, what Saint Francis de Sales, you know, first talked about is like when you hear of something good being done to another person, it just naturally pulls at your heart. This is love. This is what love is about. And if we look at the situation in Loudoun County, is that what we find present there? And if it's not present there, can we ask, where is the love? And if we ask that question, then can we not perhaps suggest to other people or you know, suggest by how we maybe treat the school board or how we treat others, um, can we not treat them with love and maybe inspire them that way to love as well? Um, you know, if St. Paul were here to look at what's happening in America today, would he not similarly think, you know, hey, in this, in this case, where is the love? And what can we do to show these people how much better it is not only to love, but to love the way that God loves? Um, I'll give you a, so there's another story also from uh, someone who has learned about love. Um, someone who, you know, is close to God, we would imagine, um, someone who um, took to her heart or let her heart be seriously affected by the sacrifice that was made on the cross. Um, 
This woman is St. Catherine of Siena. And uh, at one point, she was assisting people in some hospitals. In, uh, and there was a woman called uh, Cheka who suffered from leprosy. And uh, other people would not treat her. But St. Catherine uh, treated her, prepared her meals, uh, washed, uh, washed her body, uh, continually you know, touched her uh, in order to do that and care for her. Sometimes Catherine um, would uh, pray a little bit longer than usual in church, and she would come later than, than usual to, to care for uh, Cheka. And this old woman, Cheka, uh, received her with, oh, uh, you, know, you know, vile oaths and, and comments. For example, saying one, one time, Welcome, noble lady. Welcome, queen and lady of Fontambranda. And where has the queen been all the morning? Isn't the queen a paragon, always with the brothers, in the church the whole day long? It seems as though her highness can never have enough of the monks. I would say some of the things to just, you know, cause some resentment, try to get under St. Catherine's skin, you know, try to treat her cruelly. So here we've got a situation where someone is... Um, responding to kindness with vileness. Um, again, going back to our reading from St. Paul, you know, uh, even though you know, God proves his love for us, even though when um, we're sinners, he still loves us. And we're given this directive to love as God loves, this high, high bar to try to satisfy. And here's St. Catherine doing precisely that. This continued day after day where she would help this, help this woman uh, to at one point uh, Catherine's mother uh, was so worried about Catherine and said to her, wretched girl, you will be infected with leprosy. I forbid you absolutely to visit her anymore. But of course, Catherine wouldn't heed that. Uh, but one day um, she could not hide it. Her hands, which had touched uh, the leper daily for so long, showed the sure signs of leprosy. And so uh, Catherine continued, even though she was now contracting the disease, to still care for Cheka. And at one point then, eventually, Cheka died. Um, the corpse was so horrible that nobody uh, would prepare it for burial. But Catherine herself washed it, clothed it, and, her, and she herself laid it in the coffin. Um, and when the Mass for the dead had been read, she buried the leper with her own hands. Again, because no one else would do it. Um, but then, when she rose from the grave and looked at her hand, uh, there was no sign of the leprosy on St. Catherine's hands that had been there before. She had leprosy, and then it was gone. How does that happen? There is a truth, there is a reality uh, to this love of God. Uh, there is, this is, um, you know, there are many stories like this that we could recount. Jesus was um, 
Jesus was our Savior. He, he was God. He came. He, he rose from the dead for us. And when we follow his example, when we, li- when we love as he loves and do it with the sincerity or authenticity St. Catherine does, then things like this where people are cured, she herself you know, can be cured of leprosy, these kinds of things can happen. Love is real. Loving God's love for us is real. And our need, our, our commandment to love others as God loves is real. And if we're to take any maybe message from this incident that's happening in Loudoun County, if we're thinking about this and say, how does this happen? How is it that people are willing to lie about this, not tell the truth, and allow a second person to be victimized. How? And of course, this kind of thing is something that the church itself has fallen prey to with all the priest scandal, where events, you know, done by, offenses done by priests were covered up and, a lot, and other victims were allowed to be victimized. Um, you know, so this, this happens. And of course, the same question could be asked in that instance, where was the love? And so as Catholics, if we're to understand how we're to regard these incidents, is it not perhaps the best to simply say, where is the love? And um, endeavor to love others as Christ loves. If we see an absence of love in other cases, maybe it should just simply inspire us all the more to love more ourselves. So that is, um, that is our, our program for today. We hope it's been interesting, perhaps even provocative. And we hope you'll join us again. And until the next time, God bless.